I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. The reason why we're starting this podcast is because over the years, we've traveled from Maryland to New York and Connecticut to visit uh, our relatives for the holidays. And as you can imagine, it's a long drive. Sometimes six hours, sometimes eight hours, sometimes even longer because of traffic. Mm-hmm. And we would always stop and, you know, get a meal or whatever. But whenever I had a cup of coffee, and I'm not going to mention the brand, all of a sudden, if my children asked me a question, it went on, the answer went on for a very long time. And all of a sudden, we were in New Jersey, or we were in Delaware. And sooner or later, we were home a lot faster. So we decided that, hey, why not do a podcast like that? We're not sure what's going to be said. We have no idea what people may want to um, learn more about, because we do want you to send us your questions, and we will respond to them. We're going to be on once a week. You know, it's not going to be all just politics. It's not going to be all just sports. It's not going to be all just pop culture. And if you have topics that you can think of that you would like to ask, go for it. Now, I served in Congress a long time ago. In fact, I started in politics a very long time ago. How long ago? Well, I sat down across the desk from Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I'm that old. But I retired from politics at 43. So I'm that young. So, but that was many years ago, folks. So I think the show will be somewhat interesting, educational, and uh, hopefully, maybe at times, even funny. But um, the only way to start is to start. The name of the show is We Speak Frankly. In 2018, Americans elected one of the youngest, most diverse congressional classes ever. Are you interested in running for office? You can learn the ins and outs from someone who's done it all before. My dad, former Congressman Gary Franks. Thank you, Gary. Well, in order to get started in politics, just like any other profession, you really have to do your homework. You cannot just start by saying, hey, I want to run for Congress and run for the Senate. Now, I say that because over the years, you've seen a number of folks who have done exactly that. But that's because in some instances, they had a family member that ran for office and was elected, or they were filthy rich. So if you're not one of those two types of people, you need to listen to this program. Now, when I started out, I did these five points before I even decided to join a party, a political party. And one is I had to get an understanding of some of the basics, such as local government, state, federal. They're all different. They all have different issues. Local, sometimes it's about potholes and picking up someone's garbage. State. Sometimes it's about state universities or snowstorms and federal, war and peace, the economy, 
but quite different. I'll stop there, Gary. So, you know, let's get you know the listeners um, involved here. And obviously, you know, there's always going to be people out there asking this basic question: How do you get into politics? Well, after you go through the homework part, and I mentioned understanding the basics, we mentioned I did not mention the other four points. Do your research. Put together a plan and understand the responsibility of being in office. And I'll quickly touch upon these these points. And then as our podcast continues on week after week, we'll go in greater detail about each point and also give you the nuts and bolts of how to actually get elected. From a research perspective, you have to know who is already in office, what positions they have now and how long you think they're going to be there. As far as a plan, you have to know how, when, where, and which position you're going going to seek. As far as responsibility, in government, you are a representative no matter what type of position you have because, in essence, you are representing a group of people. When I was a city councilman, I represented 100,000 people. But when I was a congressman, I represented 700,000 people. If you're a senator, you represent your entire state, depending on the size of that state. So you need to be able to to have that understanding and have a plan in order for you to be able to get started. Now, for me, I think back when I first even thought about politics as a reflection, I thought about when I met, yes, John F. Kennedy as a little boy when I was seven years old when he came to Waterbury, Connecticut in the middle of the night before tens of thousands of people. And I was, we were there so early with my, my sister, Benita, that we were close to the door of the Elton. And so when John F. Kennedy walked by, he actually looked up at me and then walked into the Elton. Why do I say that? Because many years later, exactly 30 years later, that Elton was the headquarters of my first campaign for Congress. And when I won my election, I, I walked through that same door that John F. Kennedy walked through 30 years before when he was running for president in 1960. So, Dad, what got you interested in pursuing politics? Well, it, it's a good question, Gary. I um, really got involved in politics without knowing I was getting involved in politics. And it was all because of your grandfather my father at the time mm-hmm. he owned a, a three-family house on camp terrace and he had um is that in connecticut that's in connecticut okay. waterbury uh he mm-hmm. had kidney disease so he in his latter years he was not able to get out as much as uh, he would have wanted and mm-hmm. i had just graduated from yale and and was working in industry uh, as a labor relations executive, and he wanted me to kind of take over the three-family house as far as picking up the rents and things of that nature. And what happened one day was there was a problem with the flow of water going to the house and the the, the, the neighboring homes. Um, and what that was due to was a burst pipe that was at the bottom of the, of the street. 
and mm -hmm. the burst pipe forced the city to turn off the water and to have water come to us through a water hose, like a fire water hose, because it was getting cold. It was like November, December. And I'm, I'll make this story short, but what happened was the water hose had to go from one house to the next house to the next house to the next house. There were four three-family homes on Camp Terrace. And thus there were a lot of people, probably about 50 people that lived there. And so I tried to get the city to fix the, the burst pipe at the bottom of the street. So I didn't know I was getting involved in politics, but I went to meet with the mayor's brother who I actually ran for class president against, and I actually, I won, he lost, but his father had been mayor of, of Waterbury before, and now his brother was mayor of Waterbury, and they were Democrats. So I asked Tony, Tony Bergen, I said, would you, you know, just fix this situation? And he talked to his brother and got back to me and said, no, we're not going to fix it. It's going to, it's the responsibility of each landowner. I said, this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I said, this, you guys pave the street, you guys pick up the garbage. You got to fix this. Oh, we're not. And so I said to myself, this is not right. So I talked to other folks and they said, well, you got to get involved in politics. You have to go to town hall and, 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 and protest. So I went to the board of aldermen meeting. Little would I know that, hmm, let's see, a few years later, I'll be sitting as a member of the Board of Aldermen, in fact, President Pro Temp of that board, and I expressed my case that the water holes had the, the water had, a pipe had burst in the street, and I thought the city should fix it. Now, I learned quickly about politics, because the mayor was a Democrat, and most of the members of the city council were Democrats. So, they all voted with the mayor and said, no, we're not going to fix it. Nine votes against fixing it, six votes for fixing it. The six votes for fixing it were the Republicans. So I met with the Republicans, and they said, you got to go to the Public Works Board, and they were going to support my effort. And so I said, oh, great. So I went to the Public Works Board and made the same presentation. And after the meeting, the chairman of the board, who happened to be a Sacred Heart grad, like myself and had seen me play basketball over the years he said you know gary um i really wanted to help you but i can't go against the mayor and so that's why we voted your measure down the sacred heart also in the same in the same area yes yeah, sacred hearts in waterbury as well so, okay and what and what time period was this, this was in late 70s this eight? was in the 70s this was in the 70s okay. probably okay. the uh, late 70s and so okay. I said, boy, this politics is really uh, pretty, pretty weird because people automatically side with one side if they're Democrats and the Republicans automatically oppose the Democrats. I said, well, and if I don't have enough votes, I can't get anything done. And so at this time, it was getting colder and colder every single week. And we're now probably getting close to, to uh, December. And in Connecticut, December can be really, really bad. And if, if the pipes, if the water had actually frozen again, God knows what would have happened. There over 50 individuals would have been without, without water. So I looked at TV and I said, well, there's this news guy who would handle cases in which the public would need help. 
And I never forget the guy. His name was Mike Bozolowski. And he said, I'm in your corner. And so I gave him a call. And I called the local newspaper. And the local newspaper decided to take a picture of me holding the water hose that was going from one house to the next house. And um, make a long story short, when Channel 8 News decided to come and film the situation, within hours of that happening, I got a call back from the mayor's office saying they're going to fix it immediately. And I said, wow, hmm. I think I can get involved with this. You can make a difference. Uh, so, Dad, the water problem happened when you were an adult. What was the first time you thought of running for office? Gary, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> it was on a kind of a sad moment. I was in high school. I was 16, 15 or 16 years old. And it was in April. I remember it vividly because it was the day after uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated. And mm -hmm. so this is the late, this is the late 60s. This is 1968. So I was 15 years okay. old. And okay. right after he was assassinated, literally days after, the principal of Sacred Heart, uh, Father John Blanchfield, uh, walked into my class. Now keep in mind at Sacred Heart, we had about a thousand students, between a thousand and twelve hundred students, and probably only about four blacks in the entire school. Um, mm. So, and all of us played basketball or football. So it was very expensive at the time. My father, your grandfather, worked in the factories and uh, and didn't make a whole lot of money. He only had a sixth grade education, and and so mm. when he's, yeah, I have five siblings, as you know, and so it was it was tough, but. Somehow, my, my sisters and my mother and my father came, all came together and were able to uh, come up with enough money for me to go to Sacred Heart, because that's where I wanted, wanted to go. And when he walked in, in my sophomore year, the, right after King died, he said that, Gary Franks, you're getting the first Martin Luther King scholarship. And I went, what? <laughs> so my eyes got like sausages. I think probably a tear probably started to uh, come into my eyes. And then he pointed at me and he, and he said, you know, and he always puffed a big cigar. You should run for office. You should run for office. You should be mayor of Waterbury. That's what you should be. Mayor of Waterbury. You could do it too. I always remember that because at the time, Two rows from me was Tony Bergen, whose father was mayor of Waterbury. <laughs> and two years later, I would run against Tony Bergen for class president. So it was at that time. And, and yet I always heard from people that, you know, white people are really, really bad people. And I just didn't, didn't see it like a lot of people of color saw it. And that's despite the fact, Gary, that, you know, the Ku Klux Klan burned a gigantic cross in front of our yard, shot a dog on our yard, gave us threatening telephone calls on a nightly basis. Um, it was absolutely horrific. And your, your grandfather had guns, and I was thankful he had guns because it was really bad.
Now that episode ended when. So, so real oh, quick, I don't mean to interrupt yeah. your, uh, uh, the story uh, for a second, um, but at that time, how much did you know about politics at that at time? At that time, I didn't know that much. But what I did know was hmm. politics had a lot to do with a word called patronage. Now, patronage mm-hmm. is, is something that, you know, President Harding got himself in a whole lot of trouble over. And in many areas, it was replaced by civil service. Patronage meant that if you won an election, to the victor goes the spoil. So if you won as a Democrat, all your Democrat friends would benefit. And the Republicans, if they lost, would always be, well, pushed to the side. When I say pushed to the side, it would mean that if your area voted for a Democrat, and a Republican won, mm-hmm. your street would probably get plowed last. <laughs> or they right. may not get around to pick, fixing that pothole until your car got out of alignment. So I, we saw very quickly that, that politics played a role. In fact, your Aunt Joan would tell you that in order to get a teaching job in Waterbury, you had to be the mm-hmm. same party as the mayor. Now, Waterbury had, they went back and forth. They had a Republican mayor, then they had a Democrat mayor, Republican mayor, Democrat mayor. But you people actually changed their party affiliation before they went to the Board of Education to apply for a job as a school teacher. Now, I said, wow, I didn't realize that you, and they said, hey, that's the way it is. Yeah, that's a, so, that's a little extreme. Very, <laughs> that was very extreme. Now, we're talking, when your, your Aunt Joan had to go through this, this is the 50s and the 60s, so it, very extreme. Right. It's been replaced to a large degree by civil service. But keep in mind, mm-hmm. keep in mind, if you wanted to be an ambassador to any country, and if you were a Democrat, you most likely would not get that assignment. And vice versa. If I wanted to get an assignment, an ambassadorship, when President Obama was president, because I was a Republican, the likelihood of my getting that ambassadorship would be very very small because because the party affiliation the party the parties are very strong and i started to learn early on that it really meant something to be on the side that would win (laughs) right right (laughs) and it wasn't fun to be on the side that lost so i was a very young age i learned that Following three terms on the city council and three terms in Congress, former Congressman Gary Franks' consulting firm has helped scores of companies, large Fortune 500 firms, small businesses, and even startup companies secure millions of dollars in federal government contracts and international business opportunities. Congressman Franks, a Yale grad, author, Fortune 500 executive, and former visiting professor at Georgetown University, UVA, and Hampton University will use his knowledge, experience, relationships, and strategic plan model to help you reach that next level of success. Schedule your participation in an upcoming webinar to learn just how Congressman Franks can help you. For more information, email gary at garyfranks.org now. There's another episode Mm -hmm. that occurred when I was even younger than 15. Yes, even younger than 15. And I was, you know, just a little boy. I was in the house, and it was mm-hmm. during the Vietnam War. And the Vietnam War, Gary, was, um, you know, obviously hindsight's always twenty twenty. It, it, um, it, 
it was a bad war, and then and right. tens of thousands of, of young people died. And at one time, they were just drafting people and throwing them in in, in, in boot camp for six weeks, eight weeks. And next thing they know, they had an M16 in their hands, and they were in Vietnam. And so it was right. almost that quick. If you could breathe and you could walk a straight line, you were gone. And so we were fearful that my oldest brother, Sylvester, was going to end up going to Vietnam. And he had a not only a bachelor's degree, he had a master's degree in psychiatric social work. And so someone told your uncle, your uncle Sylvester to go see his congressman. Now, I didn't know that many years later I would have that same position. He went to see his congressman, and his congressman told Sylvester that if he joined the military, if he joined the Army, he could guarantee Sylvester that he would not go to Vietnam. Guarantee it. And he will be placed at a military hospital to work with young soldiers who would be recovering from the Vietnam War at Valley Forge Hospital in Pennsylvania. However, if Sylvester did not join the Army and got drafted, Congressman Monaghan said, I can't help you then. You will go wherever they send mm. you. But if you join, mm. you will not go to Vietnam. I will see to that. And I was like, wow. That's what I Yeah, that showed you the first time that was true power that was, you know, from that, that from was that level. Right. Gary, fast forward when I was a congressman. And this is a, kind of a sad situation, but in, in um, mm -hmm. from time to time in, in Waterbury, there's been a lot of uh, corruption. And when I was a congressman, I had wives call me to ask me to get their husbands moved from one prison to the next. And for a congressman to do that, it's like a piece of cake, just as simple as that. Mm. And one of my greatest joys as a congressman was giving out appointments to the military academy. A congressman can give a person a free four-year education at one of the best schools in America, West Point, Annapolis, the Air Force Academy. And so um, as a youngster, I don't even know how old I was. I was probably 10, 10 between 10 and 13 years old. Um, I mm -hmm. saw your, your uncle, my brother, move on to um, volunteer. In the story, as you know, Gary, he's now probably one of the oldest retired black colonels in America at yep. 80. He's a retired full colonel. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, Dad, what would you tell a person who comes to you and says they're interested in running for office? Well, as I stated earlier, they have to do their homework first, Gary. And it all starts with having a passion for something and having a desire to help mm -hmm. others. If you don't have the passion and you don't really want to help others, then politics is probably not what you should be doing. Now, how did I, how did I get right. a feel for that? I got it through your, your grandparents, Gary. What happened was when I was a little mm -hmm. boy, lived in a five room apartment in a three family house. And I had two brothers and three sisters. And with a mother and father and also a cousin or two, the house was pretty crowded. And yet my mother always <laughs> took more people in. 
And sometimes he would put him on the third floor, or sometimes he'd put him on the first floor. He always helped others. And what I saw early on, Gary, is that people used to make fun of my mother and father because it would seem as though people would just come over and stay at Antonary's house and and Antonary take care of them, feed them, bed them, not charge them anything, and little. So they just made fun of her. And I, I said that, you know, there must be a reason why my mother's like this and my father's like this. And they always said an empty, a closed hand uh, does not allow anything to come in and we should help others. Mm -hmm. And so that stayed with me. And then as I was growing up, people stopped laughing at my mother and father because all of a sudden they saw one of my siblings go on to get a doctorate degree. And then they saw another one of my sisters go on to get a doctorate degree. And then they saw another one of my sisters go off and get a JD degree, a Juris doctorate degree. And then they saw my brother go off to become a colonel. And then they saw my other brother go off to become a successful softball and basketball coach and school teacher. So they stopped laughing. And I learned from that, that my mother and father were right all along. The more you help people, the more God would bless you. And so when I was a freshman at Yale, I said, I'm going to be like my parents. I'm going to help others while I'm here at Yale. Very busy schedule. You know, I was captain of the basketball team my freshman year and had all these classes, et cetera. It was tough. But what I did, I volunteered. I volunteered at a local prison to help prisoners get their GED. And it was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. And I don't think I got anything lower than a B in all of my freshman year and received another an honor, a scholarship from the school, another scholarship on top of my scholarship from the school. So I saw that it worked. If you help others, you get blessed. And so when I left college, I decided to do the same thing. I decided to join the board of directors of companies that I could help, of organizations I could help, that helped me when I was a young, mm -hmm. youngster. So I became a member of the board of directors of the Boys Club, because the Boys Club, I lived there all the time. I was there all the time. So I became a board member. I also practiced at the YMCA. So I became a board member. My uncle died because he was not given blood because he was in the South and they they had to drive him to the black hospital, and by the time he got there, he died. So I worked for the American Blood, Blood Association. So I joined these boards, Gary, and, and I was helping people, and people saw how passionate I was about helping youngsters and helping, helping out my community, that people will always encourage me to run for office. So you mm -hmm. should have a passion. You should have a, a feeling that you can make a difference. And I'm not going to go through my achievements at this point. There's a lot to talk about <laughs> simply on the topic of getting elected. And we're right. going to talk about polling. We're going to talk about focus groups. We're going to talk about right. uh, get out the vote. We're going to talk about putting together a campaign mm -hmm. plan, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot to be talked about. But I just wanted to make sure that you had a good understanding of that, that, that one basic fact. you right. got to have the passion, so, and, and you have to have a desire to help others. Right. So uh, did water? So did staying in the water, in the Waterbury area, really help you 
And when it came to running for, for politics, just understanding the area and knowing all those well, types yes, of things. Because that is one of the uh, things you have to do. It's part of your research. And if you're already, if you're running from mm -hmm. a place that you're, that you were born and raised in, it's a lot easier. Um, yeah, I played basketball in, in, at Sacred Heart High School. We won a lot of championships. I was in the paper a lot and people knew of me. So that was a plus. My, my sisters taught at, at various schools in Waterbury uh, before they went on to teach at major colleges across the country. Um, I got a cousin who was a pastor of one of the largest Baptist churches. So yes, being a, a, a homegrown individual is, is a plus, but it's not necessary. It's not necessary. Um, but what is necessary is understanding the community that you're in and then understanding uh, which position you should be shooting for. But before you even get to that point, you have to give people a reason why they would want to vote for you. So that's the second thing that you have to kind of think right. about. Yeah, I want to run for office, but why should anyone vote for you? <laughs> you know, so, so when you say you want to run for office, the next, your next breath should be, but why should anyone want to vote for me? And that's what we're going to talk about as right. well and how you uh, can answer that one question. Because we're going to even talk about how you put together a stump speech. And believe it or not, all the stump speeches are the same, whether you're Barack Obama or whether you're, whether you're JFK or whether you're Abe Lincoln. They're all the same. They all have the same basic principles to them. And you're going to learn that. Gary, over the next three to four weeks, we are going to be talking about how to get elected to office. And that would mean potentially as a city councilman, as a state rep, as a state senator, as a congressman, as a senator, as attorney general. Uh, we're going to cover all of that because most people are not aware of, of the fact that all too frequently what we see are people who are very wealthy running for office or people who have like Ross Perot or the Bloombergs or the Rockefellers or people who have mm -hmm. high name ID because they were former sports stars or entertainers like Jack Kemp and Sonny Bono and Ronald Reagan, or people come from families that actually had elected officials like Speaker Pelosi, her father was mayor of Baltimore, Governor Hogan of Maryland, his father was a congressman. Uh, the Kennedy group has a number of people in, in political office, and the Bush family the same. And then that fourth category of, of people who have an advantage would be those who have mentors, those who wake up one day and all of a sudden the state party is saying, we want to have you as a congressman. <laughs> and and you know, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen to most people. And so the point of this program right. and this podcast is to seek out individuals to be willing to get involved in the political process because we must have the best and the brightest leading us. We're even going to define what a leader is. We're going to define what power is, what influence would be. Over the years, I've taught at Georgetown University, Gary, as you know, uh, the University of Virginia mm -hmm. and Hampton University. And I had to add this to many of the classes in which I taught because people just wanted to know, how can I do this? if I'm, my last name is not Rockefeller or Bush or Clinton. Well, you're going to learn. See you next week. Don't forget to subscribe.